Hey everybody and welcome to another edition of Words, Images, and Worlds. Always delighted when I can have folks on whose work have been light posts for me and uh, lighthouses along the way. And always delighted when I have folks on that are authors and educators. So very glad to be talking with author and educator Penny Kittle. May I call you Penny? Is that okay? Of course. Thank you. Nice Absolutely. to be here. Thanks for yeah. inviting me. My pleasure. Thanks for saying yes. Always good when people say yes. That's always a nice thing. And I, I'll offer you the same titling that I offered Kelly Gallagher when I talked with him. Um, would you like to be Penel um, or Penny? Would you like to be Miss um, Kittle, Literacy Master Kittle, you know, or, or just mm -hmm. Penny? I kind of I kind of want superhero, but I'm going to go with Penny. <laughs> that sounds good. That sounds good. I, I'm a superhero. superhero. <laughs> I I got I have my Star Wars short shirt there on, so it's kind of yeah. I'm into the superheroes. Um. So my first question, speaking of superheroes, thinking about students who are readers and they're striving, and yet like superheroes, they come to school every day, day after day, day after day. And I know you've done uh, an impressive body of work on this, but just any quick message um, for teachers out there that are currently working with striving readers and, and things that you might point them in the direction of as far as um, some of your books, one of which I see right there behind you. <laughs> um, well, I don't think there's a classroom I've ever been in that didn't have striving readers, that didn't have um, this odd collection, I guess I would say, of those who love reading and have always loved it, and those who will do it because they will comply, and those who just simply will not try. And so years ago, when Kylene Beers pointed me towards the will and skill, the bi-directional relationship between the two, that article um, made so much sense to me, because I think sometimes we mischaracterize kids as being unable to make sense of text when they're simply not at all interested. So they're not putting all of their energy into figuring that text out. So I um, believe, as you know, that kids need a balance of books that they want to read for their own purposes. And they need collaborative groups like book clubs to understand um, books from different perspectives in the classroom. And then rarely, I think we all gather around the same book. And that is really a combination that I came to when I moved to high school. I had been um, both elementary and middle school and kind of reluctantly went to high school because I was going to be the mentoring program coordinator and they couldn't give me one middle school class. And I said, if I'm going to be coaching other teachers, I need my own class so that, you know, I'm walking the talk. And if they want to come see me teach, they can. And they said, well, you can teach ninth grade, which was, you know, I was teaching eighth. So I was like, ninth, I can do ninth. And the next year they gave me 11th. And after that 12th, then um, all kids are the same to me. They're all um, a combination of strengths and weaknesses and hopes and desires. And so our work as teachers is to position reading in a place where they are most likely to put their best efforts towards reading it. And, the, you know, the truth we all know is that if you're teaching a book that's been around for a couple hundred years, there are a couple gazillion websites that will tell them what it says. And that is not reading. So I was determined to get to reading that 
just kind of breaks us open inside and kids leave and experience with the book saying, really glad I did that. I mean, that's why we read to begin with, right? Like, yeah. To get that connection. I love what you said there too about the walking the walk and talking the talk. Um, because uh, both you and Kelly Gallagher, I appreciate that you're you're practicing these ideas. You're in classrooms. You're doing these things. And I, I've shown many, many videos of you working with readers over the years that are just out there available on YouTube. I used to teach a, a secondary English methods course that was all online and pulling in videos from folks like you to show, like, hey, this is how you would conference with a with a high school student. And this is uh, the video you have of all of the students that are sort of talking about the impact that choice made on them. Um, and that kind of litany of testimonials. Uh, it's really, really wonderful to see. And I think about that a lot when I'm teaching. Mm. I think that we underestimate the kind of energy kids will put into reading because for so long they don't. And we think, oh, they just never will. But it's certainly been true um, since COVID, as I'm sure you've experienced, that students were away from regular reading for a really long time. So that impacts all of the things that we're trying to do. And so I find that these last um, three years have been incredibly hard to bring back that regular reading habit. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of educators, just to normalize it for everybody that might be listening, I think that it's been a period of resetting just a lot of normal. I mean, reading yeah. is one side of it, but just the process of going to school, being in a classroom, uh, feeling safe, feeling healthy. I mean, all of those things have been a process of of coming back, I think. Yeah, for sure. Um, so continuing with the superhero theme, <laughs> if you had the superpower of choice and you could push the button right now and transform literacy education. What would it look like? What would you see? What would your vision of that be? Well, I don't think it's ever changed for me. I want every kid to be um, wrapped around books that delight and surprise them, feed their curiosity and their hunger to know more about the world, about other people, about places they've never been. And likewise, I want writing to provide that same sense of satisfaction that they uncover the subjects that they are most passionate about, what Nancy Atwell called territories, which I always thought was such a great word because it's so much bigger than just a state or a place, but it's a territory you know well as a writer. And our students um, spend too much time completing assignments, which are just tasks, right? Like we all see um, vacuuming the house as a task as opposed to creating. And so I want all kids to experience that rush of creating something that names what they're struggling with or thinking about or an essay that um, is able to communicate their passion for a subject in a way that will convince others to feel that way. All of that is possible. And I don't think it takes, you know, I don't know. Um, it doesn't take a particular program or um, anything more than the teacher's love of language and the freedom to um, ignite creation in your kids. And so I've always worked really hard to find those spaces for myself. I've always pushed back against um, 
curriculum that was too structured or uh, mandates from a department or a principal or whoever. And I've always said, um, I want to do it differently. And then I'm happy to document all my results and come and talk to you about those and have my students talk to you. And, but um, it's never not been hard. It's yeah. hard now. And I have complete freedom now at the university, but it's still hard because students don't have a lot of faith that reading offers them something that they can't find somewhere else, like on a, you know, quick video, or if reading is only about answering somebody's questions or getting information or speaking about a topic that they don't really care about, but they need to have a few one-liners about, then you don't really need to fall into a book. And that, that experience when kids come to a book club, really excited to talk to other kids about their books is really worth whatever we put into making it happen. And there's no magic like uh, a student that says it's it's a tragic story on one hand, but it's also a magic story of a student who's older that says, you know, I haven't read a good book or I haven't just read something because I wanted to read it in mm -hmm. years. And this was the first time I've gotten to do this in a long time. Mm -hmm. And they really do see it as um, a privilege when I think it should be the foundation of school, no matter what content area. You know, when I've done book clubs in world history, you're helping students experience these places we talk about um, through the eyes of someone who lives there. And the other piece about writing is that um, students need that practice with it. And, you know, when I first um, moved from elementary to middle, it seems normal to just have writer's notebooks be at a central place in that classroom and then read the work of Linda Reef and Nancy Allen saw what they were doing um, and thought, there's no reason they won't do more and commit more if I can just let go of having them write about the things I want to assign. So those are journeys for all of us, but boy, do the results speak to uh, this untapped potential in kids. And I think part of the payoff too is it's so much better when you're, I mean, the, the thing with teaching English and language is always all of the reading of papers, but it's so much better when you're not reading the exact same paper. Yeah. Exact same format. You know, you're sort of punishing yourself if you go about it that way, because it's so much more enlivening and enriching to read responses that students really wanted to put together and that have those senses of voice. Well, and I think that um, we're worried that it will be so difficult because they'll be so different. Right. This country kind of has this, um, I don't know, a love wow. of standardization, which we don't really want our students to be standardized, but everybody wants everyone to write the same thing so we can judge them one against each other. And I think instead we just need to focus on the growth of individual readers and writers. And it is more satisfying. It is very complex work, but it's always possible. Yeah. Um, so at a time when a lot of teachers are leaving the classroom in different places, this was actually one of the reasons why I was inspired to step back into a, a K-12 classroom. Um, any message of hope, perseverance, any uh, sort of guide, that's, that's the name of a soap opera. I don't know if I want to say guiding light, uh, but any sort of message that you would want to send to educators who are sort of in that, that place of like, is this for me? Uh, you know, I thought I wanted to do this, but... Mm. I, you are very right. And everywhere I go, the teachers that have been it as long as I have are definitely leaving now. And yeah. 
the um, the number of hopeful young students. I was at UNH with um, a whole bunch of secondary English majors who were going to be out in the workplace in the next few months. And I think that they carry that hope inside of them. They dreamed of this, of sitting beside kids, of talking about, you know, literature and poetry and music lyrics and watching that spark in kids' eyes. And I think what we're all um, seeing happen in education is that those from outside of our work are trying to determine how we're going to do our work as if they know the best way to ignite passion in middle and high school kids who aren't sure they want to read. And we know that. And I think that the hope has to come from our rock solid belief that it's worth knowing, that poems are worth studying, that letting students write in notebooks freely from a line, a phrase, a thought, practicing craft moves, doing the work without a grade. You know, there's so many practices we have to push against, but when we do, we find that true delight in the work that we wanted. And, you know, find your people is my other thing, because when I taught, I mean, I taught in seven different states, so I moved a lot. And I can remember times when the school year started and everybody was huddled around each other talking about summer and I didn't know anyone, right? That when you experience that, you realize that the community of your school is so important, but now that community is worldwide and at their fingertips and they can connect and find their people if they're not directly in their building elsewhere. And I think that's just such a great sense of camaraderie and um, shared thinking. People will be so open. Um, my friend Cornelius Minor says that he learned so much about teaching by being on the last train headed to, um, to this stop in Brooklyn. And they would, it was just a bunch of teachers who would get on every morning on their way to school and share lesson plans, you know, scratches in their notebook. And that sense of having a group of people that you go to, to think about this work makes a difference in your joy in the work. Absolutely. It's community. It's not competition. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, Dakota Irby wrote an um, article for the Harvard Graduate Newsletter, and it said that joy is a foundation from which kids learn that academic struggle is temporary and worthwhile. Well, it's also true for teachers. Joy is the foundation where we learn that this profession, right, is going to be at times a struggle, but it's worthwhile. In all ways, it's worthwhile. Absolutely. And also, I love that you put music lyrics alongside um, poetry <laughs> and other forms of literature. Uh, love that connection across types of texts. That's, that's really cool. Mm. Well, you know how much I love digital work. You know, that video you mentioned when we were talking before we started, I made with my students in 2009. And that was the first time I did digital composition of arguments. And I have been amazed every single year at the creativity and the, the just incredible ways students will solve their own problems in that medium. Yeah. And the, and the things that students do that I think, ah, how did they do that? What is yeah. a hard edit? Oh, okay. This is okay. <laughs> they always know more than I do about pretty much everything. <laughs> Just part of the beauty too. And the humility sometimes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so coming to our last official question, and then you can, we can take this in any direction you want, if I've missed anything. We've been talking about craft, we've been talking about writing as we've kind of slid to the end here. And 
uh, I did want to mention and give you a chance to talk about uh, micro mentor techs, as well as your work with Kelly Gallagher for folks out there that might stumble on this on, on Spotify or YouTube or, or wherever it happens to be. Maybe we're speaking to the future in a time capsule. I don't know. Um, we, we love our pets here in 2023. I do too. Um, so, <laughs> so, uh, any, anything as far as um, the work that you've done that you'd like to sort of hat tip for teachers to find out a little bit more? Well, um, Micro Mentor Text, which I um, started writing eight years ago and then derailed to do 180 Days in Four Essential Studies with Kelly. And that um, sat kind of simmering on a back burner for a really long time. And it's because I had always taught writing through looking at the craft of other writers as Don Murray, Don Graves, all these other people taught me to, but I'd also begun collecting. And I really have so many files on my desktop of passages I've collected because they do interesting things that I want writers to pay attention to. And so I teach next to short passages as part of our work as writers in notebooks lots of times where we just use a poem or a passage and, um, kids write, you know, under the influence of that writing. And Katie Wood Ray first used that term, which I think is so powerful because it is like it breathes into you a sense of rhythm and pace and organization of text and the balance of um, different devices, you know, not to overuse metaphor, but to extend it perhaps. And I think all of the um, craft moves that the writers we admire use are available to kids. The more we talk about them, I was talking to a college class about the use of the power of three, which is a lesson that in the book is just shows you all of the ways we organize in threes. And it's such a, a, a simple, but really elegant way to think about what you know about language. And these college students were like, I just like having a name for it so that I can think about these things I use. Um, and I call it artful organization because we can tell stories in ways that really make somebody pay attention or in ways that they're just simply reading a story. And I like for my students to know that that ability to get readers to pay attention, to wake up and really see what they're showing is often about writing craft. Someone used some some arbitrary symbols on a page. Yeah, <laughs> coming <laughs> together like music. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, and I also do want to throw out again 180 days because I've used that with uh, method students for middle grades and secondary and uh, high school. That is, and when I introduced it to a class, it, it had one of the best moments of praise that I've ever gotten in a methods class because one of the students said, oh, the, the place where I'm student teaching, they're using this at the school for professional development. And I thought, well, it, it spoke to me and it was such an organized way of thinking about how do I, how do I make sense of my life as a mm -hmm. first year teacher? So uh, another powerful book that's out there that I strongly recommend for teachers. Thank you for that. I, yeah. you know, when Kelly and I sat down to think through what would we put in a school year, um, it was very funny to me. Kelly's really good at figuring out a, um, what's a good project. And what he said to me um, the day we sat trying to answer the question, you know, like, how does it all fit for you? What do you give up 
in order to do all these things you believe in. Um, he said, you know, we really ought to teach a year together and write about it. And I, I thought, I can't even imagine in the hustle of a school year how we're going to write about it. And it was exhausting because you have to keep really careful records if you're going to try to write, tell the story of a year. And the the thing that I love about teaching is it's not the story of the next year. It's maybe where we start with the same idea of a mix of book clubs and whatever. But, you know, every school year is its own story. And so I like that that one's captured so carefully on um, and that we put so much energy into trying to explain why we were doing what we were doing and to have give teachers the research and the power behind the decisions we were making so that they could feel um, justified and bring it in, into their own rooms. And we certainly get a lot of feedback from especially young teachers who don't really know how to begin with theory. And it's a starting place. Um, and then four essential studies came about because I moved to the college when my granddaughter was born. And I said to Kelly, probably the second or third week I was there, oh my word, these seniors are just flummoxed by the difference between high school and college. Right. And there are essential things that could have been done differently in high school that would have empowered them instead of um, having them feel like they've been set adrift. And that's where we started that from. It's powerful work. As somebody that, that just spent a half an hour today with some high school seniors and, and sort of talking about what's ahead, um, definitely, son, definitely. Well, well, thank you so much for taking some time to talk about your work. And uh, again, I recommend it. I enjoy it. And uh, so glad to talk with you. And at the, at the end of every school year, I'm also thinking about the sequel of how am I going to do this differently? So hope to have you back on at some point to, to talk about another part of the conversation as well. Thank you very much. And uh, happy reading and writing this summer. Thank you. Thank you. And, and to you as well. Happy Thanks. grant reading. and <laughs> That's right. Grant back to those book club grants. <laughs> Thanks, Thank Jason. So Good to meet you. Good to meet you. Thank you.